Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Niche on Niche. Thank you so much for clicking on our podcast. You know, I'm going to call you out. No one really clicked on last week's episode. <laughs> um, you know, I don't know what it was, but, you know, we didn't get it. It was clicks. election week, election week. It must yeah, have been every- it. <laughs> everybody was busy doing their thing. But thank you so much for hopefully clicking on this episode. And if you did, thank you so much. We do appreciate it. We appreciate to anybody who does listen to us uh my name is shane i'm rachel um derek and we're we're glad to have you here um and speaking of what derek was saying about election week how how's um i guess your expectation of election week been for you guys man any expectations i had were completely shattered because we still don't know what the heck is going on it's friday right now yep. and i thought for sure by now we would be fully aware of who our next president is, but it's still mm-hmm. all up in the air. Yep. Still lots of controversies going on. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's interesting having like witnessing my fifth graders mm-hmm. trying to talk about it. Like even my English learners who are still unfamiliar with like the American culture and stuff mm-hmm. will send me private messages on Aww. chat saying like, who do you think is going to win, Miss Rachel? <laughs> <laughs> and I just have to say, I don't know. <laughs> oh, man, that is too funny. Yeah. And this week's been crazy with just like how we see like, you know, Trump react, which is, you know, not, I guess, not out of the norm at this point. Right. Mm. And then we, I think what the best thing is, is all the memes that are coming out with yes. like, and with, the like, memes Nevada. are so strong this week. I know it is like every time i go on twitter right you go on instagram or even on tiktok right there's just so many memes going towards nevada it is it (laughs) kills me and i'm just i'm just in bed laughing so hard Uh, it's just it's just hilarious but also sad at the same time (laughs) um but i guess transitioning um to that uh today we have a very special guest someone that that maybe Actually, no one would expect because nobody knows who this person is. <laughs> um, um, usually, you know, usually our guests on our podcast are people from our church or who are associated with the church. But our guest here is someone that is not associated at all with our church or anything like that, for that matter. Um, our guest here today is Nancy Tien. Nancy, can you say hi to everybody? Hi, everybody. Hello, hello. Nancy, um, I know Nancy through an online community that we are a part of together. Um, I've gotten to know her over the past couple of months and um, one of our guests fell through or actually just never came through. And luckily, Nancy came to save the day. Mm, and so clutch. What's, yeah, what's great is that, you know, Nancy being this guest here today actually kind of falls with in line of just the events of this week. Um, Nancy works, you know, in the political realm i guess you can say and maybe she might say i'm completely wrong when she starts talking uh, <laughs> but but we're glad that she's here with us um and 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 yeah we're just super excited super excited to just hear about kind of what you do uh maybe a little bit about your life and and just spread some knowledge about things that maybe we're not so aware of today but uh nancy just um for all the listeners at home could you tell us a little bit about yourself um, you can go as shallow or as deep as you want. Great. Thanks for having me on today, y'all. Uh, this is really exciting. And hi, everybody. I'm Nancy Tian. Um, I am actually a Texan, so I'm nowhere in the Bay or near, near, <laughs> anywhere nearby. Um, but I do do, I do do, I do election work. <laughs> um, and uh, really 
interesting story of how I got here is I actually started off as a teacher. Um, and I think I can't really say more about myself unless I start with my identity. And so I'm a child of immigrants. I'm Vietnamese American. Um, I've got Chinese in there too, but like trying to navigate what that means is really weird. Um, but right now I am an, an election coordinator with a local PAC. And so we raise money and then we coordinate um, like campaign ac activities um, to support local school board candidates. And then because of that, I kind of stay up to date with all the other politics in the, in the country. And then in my free time, whatever that is, I do education consulting work. And so um, I am a practitioner of like diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that's just a big thing nowadays. And so uh, I get to go into schools and talk to teachers. Sometimes I get to talk to kids about like race and what is anti-racist work and what does it look like to be like diverse, equitable, and inclusive. That's my uh, that's my elevator pitch. <laughs> wow, that is amazing. You are honestly the superstar of the kind of guests that we like to yes. have because <laughs> we love talking about um, education and we love talking about equity and equality. So we're super glad that you came on. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank y'all for having the space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you come from us, come to us from the future, two hours. <laughs> yeah. Two hours yes. Future. Unfortunately, I don't have any election results for y'all, though. No. I know. Oh, dang. <laughs> and I think that's so awesome because I feel like this is, you know, stereotype at work where, where we hear Texan and we think, we may think one specific way about Texan and how people from Texas are depicted as, you know, very conservative they may be closed-minded may have very you know small-minded views on things like education but I think it's so great that you are you know born and raised in Texas you're you know going in hard with education and inclusivity and equity and it's so great to see like someone represent that from a place that we wouldn't normally associate it with you know what I mean and I can that shatters this idea of stereotypes and that you can find people like this anywhere and, mm. and it, you're not defined by location or anything like that mm. I'm just so excited to just dive into that kind of conversation with you <laughs> yeah, yeah so I I want I want to ask um so I know you were a teacher before could you tell us a little bit about your journey from becoming a teacher to becoming involved with um education reform and politics, I guess. Yeah. Um, so I actually started my college career as an engineering major. Um, like my oh. family was very much like, hey, you're getting an education, like make it worth it. And I was like, I don't know what that means. So <laughs> in my like, I guess, haste to make them proud, I decided engineering was going to be the way to go. Um, and I sat through a couple of civil engineering courses and I liked them, like I like learning, but there was just one day where I was like, I'm not going to do this the rest of my life. I can't even do it for the next hour. Um, and so I was taking a course randomly um, to be able to live in like some special student housing. And so I wanted to live in the student housing that was like smaller and farther away from people. And um, one of the requirements was like, you had to take a course um, in whatever specialty you decide, but you just like pick it and um I do this thing where I procrastinate a lot and so the one that was left <laughs> same, was education 
Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, I don't, I don't read anything by it, but I'm like, I just, I, it worked out. Right. And so I got into educate this education class um, and I ended up really enjoying it. And my professor um, had us reading books about like how our education system is essentially not what it's supposed to be. Like it's supposed to be this great equalizer, but what we see nowadays is how it perpetuates like racism mm-hmm. and um, like how if you're born with more, then you kind of get along farther in life. And so I went to him one day and I was like, yo, professor, I really don't like my my, my major. Like I'm at this mm-hmm. crossroads. The career counselor told me to come here and talk to you. Like, so can you help me out? <laughs> And bless my professor, because he goes, well, what do you actually care about? Like, what do you find interesting? And I was like, well, I, at the time, I was um, still studying Spanish. And I was like, okay, well, I, I care a lot about language and, like, language acquisition. And, like, I've never been able to learn Vietnamese in a formal setting. But being able to do that, like, um, in Spanish and, like, teach other students that kind of have, like, similar background as myself. Um, seems like a really interesting like career he goes then you should just transfer into teaching like I don't know why you're here go and change your major today and so literally the next day I changed my major to bilingual education and I never looked back uh, after that Um, so I went to UT Austin um, graduated uh, with a I guess degree in applied learning and development which essentially is fancy talk for a degree in education um, and I taught um, fifth grade right out the bat. So Rachel, we had that in common early when you said fifth grade. And I was like, yeah. Um, and I ended up uh, joining Teach for America. So I'm like one of those, I may be a stereotypical Teach for America ed reformer, whatever that means to people. Um, but I don't drink the Kool-Aid as much anymore. So don't judge me for that. <laughs> if there's any TFAers in the audience um, or listeners. Uh, but yeah, I joined Teach for America, and I think in that space, I met a lot of folks who were very like passionate about education and education reform. Like, um, it was a very common, I think, common narrative I shared with friends through Teach for America. Like, we ourselves were either like, um, we were either like, what are exceptions to the story of like of education? So, um, myself being like. Uh, really lucky. I think I came from a low income background. And honestly, if I look at like my parents' education, which is not very high, um, my mom only went up to like, I think fifth grade and my dad um, ended up, I think, dropping out of college when he was in Vietnam. Uh, Thinking about their levels of education and um, in our economic levels, I really am not supposed to be where I'm at today, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But I had teachers that really believed in me and got put me in in like really good opportunities. I had a mom that always like pushed through and got me into school. Um, And so when I joined Teach for America, I was like, look, like the system doesn't work for everybody. Like I got out of the system um, because there were folks that like um, pulled. I don't know, pulled strings for me or like just really stuck their back out for me. Um, And I want to change that. And so I ended up teaching fifth grade bilingual for a total of seven years, six years. Um, At a certain point, um, it just got really, let's see, um, discouraging. Like Mm -hmm. uh, in my third year of teaching, I had I got taken out of my class because of something called leveling. So essentially, we didn't have enough kids in a certain class. So they move around teachers uh, in like the second month of school. And so I got moved out of my fifth grade class that I was with 
into a different class and I didn't have the relationships uh, that I needed to be successful with my kids. And it was a really tough year. And uh, I remember one specific child, um, like really not getting what he deserved. Uh, He was in his like third school in the fifth grade. Um, He would share with me like his experience in alternative school, um, which is what happens when like a student gets enough discipline infractions and gets sent to like an alternative program instead of being in the school. Um, And he and I honestly like clashed all the time, but I like didn't stop that from building a relationship with him. But what really made it like where, where I really messed up and I have to own it is that I had a principal that kind of encouraged me to like put him in the discipline system. Um, and like, if y'all haven't already, like kind of built this image of him, like he was a black boy. Um, and like, when I think of him and my conversation with his mom, like he definitely defied like whatever, any, all stereotypes about black, about black boys or black males. Like he was brilliant. He was smart. The first day he walked to my classroom, he was like spitting out science facts to me. Cause we were talking about like I want to say we were talking about um, types of organisms and he was like, yeah, that's an organ. That's like a living organism, blah, blah, blah. And like the rest of my kids were like, how do you know that? (laughs) Um, So I just knew that like, it wasn't right for me to do what I was doing, but I was doing it because like, that's the way the system treats black boys. Like I was writing him up for like every little thing. I was like um, encouraged to put him in out of school suspension. Um, And that year, like seeing how hard it was not on myself, but for my kids, for us to have like a culture where we like actually grew and were honest with each other. um, I know that like kids, I wasn't alone one and kids like them and teachers deserve better. Like we deserve spaces where we should be more frank about like our biases, about about the kind of mistakes that we make as humans uh, because of the things that we've been socialized to believe. And that's how I got into, I think, organizing um, around policies. So that same year, I got to go speak or the year year after that, I got to speak at a board meeting um, to support a policy that bans out of school suspensions for kids that are in second grade and younger. I mean, if you're in second grade, you are, I think, nine. Um, And if you are nine or younger and you get suspended, like that isn't that's not. A discipline yeah. thing that's like a yeah. reward I'm like yeah shoot I'd rather go home let me mess up again yeah. so I can stay my, so I can stay home with my mom or my dad or my grandparents or whomever um and so the trustee that that you know wanted it passed essentially made this claim that like um this policy will like break racial uh, r- uh racialized systems like we have ways in which we uh, perpetuate racism um and this is essentially one of them And so I got to stand up and speak to the trustees and I heard a different trustee say like, um, share part of my testimony. And he was like, you know what, like if we're really thinking about um, this child, like X person and that person I ended up talking about was this this uh, male child that I had that I think about all the time. Um, Seeing I think standing in that room right there and realizing that I can make a difference based off my experiences and based off like the really real uh, experiences of kids um, and education, um, like why not pursue that? So I continued to like uh, get into spaces. I like applied for every single fellowship and program out there. Uh, I've been in different advocacy programs. Um, I started organizing here in Dallas. So I'm a, uh, I'm, I founded a, uh, or I founded with some friends an organizing alliance of educators and parents and students. And then I like just 
kept trying to be in the room where people make decisions about that. And so now I'm um, a teacher or a former teacher turns like policy advocacy um, person, whatever I am. And I'm still kind of trying to make sense of this, of like, of what I do. I think it's because what I do really doesn't exist in the current world. Like mm-hmm. so oftentimes people have to pursue one path or one career. Yeah. Um, but that's really like, it's not very, uh, what am I trying to say? When you do that, you don't get to like advocate for all the different types of experience people have. And so I'm just like scrabbling things together and trying to make it work. Mm. Long answer, but I hope no, that answers that the question. Amazing. Yeah, that was amazing. I think it's so inspiring and I have mad respect for you because one, you're so open and honest about your own experience and you're so reflective on those experiences and how that they have shaped you. And, you know, education reform is definitely something that I talk about and something that I (laughs) have a hard time wrapping my head around because like I'm currently a student teacher and I'm in this credential program where we're talking about you know how we can make a really big difference yet when you're in the education system and you're in the classroom there are so many things that are rigid and everything just seems so theoretical that it seems very bleak our hope seems very you know, our future just seems really like unattainable. And even today, like I had gone to a conference where we were talking about issues in equity, not enough funding in education, you know, and like the desperate need for education reform. And the response that people could only give us is like, you know, education reform, it's like, it's a marathon, like prepare yourself for a marathon. It's not something that's going to happen overnight. And it's like, yes, I understand that. I completely get it. But when you're talking to a group of young, hopeful educators, that sounds really discouraging. Mm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. many a times, I, my colleagues and I have felt very discouraged because we're in the classroom, we see the reality of what's going on, and we feel very let down, very discouraged by the conversations we're having with um, people in our community, by people within our own administration and district. It just seems very hopeless a lot of times. But then speaking to people like you and meeting people like you who are, you know, trying to fight the good fight for all of us and for our the communities out there um, for education reform is very inspiring, very uplifting. And I would love to just like keep, you know, raking your brain about all of these things, but we would bore Derek and Shane to death. So (laughs) (laughs) no, I have mad respect for you because honestly, me and my family keep saying this. Rachel is literally the busiest person we know right now. (laughs) And she's a student teacher. Um, She is basically co-teaching with her mentor teacher right now. And she's in her room from was like 8 a.m. basically till 5 p.m. and then after that she'll come out eat dinner and then she'll be like planning for the next day and I'm or going to one of her master's programs classes so it's like it's such a huge grind that teachers go through they definitely don't get paid for the overtime that they're putting in and so it it's just I have so much respect for you because that is so necessary (laughs) I mean I'm not a teacher anymore yeah all the respect to Rachel as a student teacher I remember that we definitely, yeah, teachers deserve so much more, like, time and money and, I think, respect for sure. Yeah. And especially these days because everything is so politicized and 
everything in education is very, very political. In a lot of ways where we feel like it shouldn't be too political when we're talking about just basic human rights and, you know, students being treated fairly and keeping equity in mind and all of that kind of stuff. Um, the fact that it's gotten so political really breaks my heart. But then again, that just brings in the need for more voices, for more representation and for people to really, you know, fight for what we believe in. So again, I feel hopeless a lot of times, but then I have really good moments where I feel like, no, we can't get through this. There are people out there. Mm -hmm. We just really have to stick it out and band together. And if it's a marathon, okay, let's get ready for this marathon together. Mm -hmm. So, so my, my question would be, I guess for us, because we talk about a lot of the problems in education a lot of the time. And I feel like for us, it almost seems very obvious that there's a lot of issues. What do you find are some of the the biggest obstacles in your way or some of the maybe even just like the opposing opinions or the things that are constantly being thrown at, at you as to why um, we're not seeing the reform that we would like in terms of equity or even in terms of funding for education and getting the resources that they need? Yeah, um, I think what Rachel says, like when people say it's a marathon, like there's this there's this idea that change isn't possible at the, at like the, um, like government governance level, um, quickly. But I think when we look at like, um, I hate to like bring them into, or I guess they're, I'm going to politicize the discussion, but like when we look at the, the, the squad, the, fr the four freshmen representatives in Congress, like, and we look at the wins that they've had, it's not because like governance is slow. It's because like people are so used to status quo. Um, mm. and like, I think when we boil it down to everything, like what resists change is people that are afraid to give up power. And mm. so, especially like in my conversations with folks about racism, um, sometimes people are so, so wrapped up in like their identity, having a, uh, giving them power. Um, and like, I remember my first conversations with, with white men, with straight white men about how like their identity like allows them specific privileges and they didn't want me to like I guess expose them quote unquote because that would mean that they would be vulnerable and I was mm. like you you literally don't understand what it means to be vulnerable <laughs> and for me to point out like the fact <laughs> that you don't that you aren't vulnerable you know like and and I just realized it's really hard to let go of power and it's like the same dynamic when you have parents and parents and kids and then even teachers and students like I went through so many uh, issues with my students and I had to realize that I was being really proud about my power that I had over them, like my authority. And so a big, a big, um, a big, uh, what am I trying to say? A big obstacle, a big obstacle in education reform is essentially like the folks that think or know that change in education would ultimately lead to specific communities having more power and having more access to success. Um, and that whole idea that government is slow work, like part of that is true, but part of that can also be challenged with like people that are ambitious taking office. I think more obstacles um, could, one big one is the, like the separation of church and church and uh, state, I guess, and, and seeing that in curriculum, like to this day, we have people in Texas on the State Board of Education that don't want evolution in the curriculum, right? Or mm -hmm. like 
that don't want to teach the true narrative of like racism and um, the Jim Crow laws and reconstruction. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, and maybe that's not so much religion, but that's then uh, bringing in race into it as well. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think that just kind of summarizes what I see as really big obstacles. People that really are afraid of like change and power. And that is that is a hard conversation to have with anyone, I feel like. Like we said in previous episodes, like when you say the word privilege, a lot of people get triggered by it, right? Mm-hmm. Like not understanding that we have very specific biases and, you know, perspectives on everything and anything that goes on in our lives. We come from a very specific perspective. And whenever we um, bring that up, it makes people feel very uncomfortable, But Mm -hmm. I feel like a job of an educator is, you know, yes, it's uncomfortable. We can, you know, talk it through. We can talk about, we can normalize it. But if you just have a very small group of people who are pushing for that and then the rest of the world is like, no, 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 we we can't have that right now. Mm. (laughs) It's like, that's where you have that hesitation and that resistance for change. And Again, when you're in a room full of teachers, it like makes sense and we're all on board. But it's like when you step out of that that niche or that circle, mm-hmm. you feel you realize like, oh, I feel pretty alone in this fight, actually. <laughs> I think something that I, I um, have challenged myself with in organizing is um, like standing firm and like the truth that I know. Um, I think being raised as an Asian American daughter, uh, like I very much have learned that like there are moments where I shouldn't speak up, especially if it concerns like people that are older or more experienced. And um, but like in the space of like demanding change, like I have to go against that. And so it's been so hard to like uh, to kind of straddle that like really difficult um, habit of like wanting to slink back and be like, yeah, like elders know best or experienced people know best Mm -hmm. versus like really knowing the truth as a teacher. Like if I'm the only teacher in the room that that means it's even more important for me to advocate because there's like, there are not only kids in my classroom, like waiting for me to speak for them, but like their parents and then they're like any other generation that they may bring with them. Um, And so like knowing the truths that like I have experienced as a teacher and knowing the stories and that my students have gone through and continue to go through because they're like, they're right now going through middle school. Um, and they tell me about it and give me updates. Um, like if I don't speak up or if I don't like, you know, uh, make a little like trouble, then that means that I'm losing on opportunity to improve things for other people that mm. especially folks I need it most. Like John Lewis said, you want, you know, get in good trouble. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, so, you know, in the beginning, you um, mentioned you do you're a part of or you do uh, pack. And Derek, Rachel and I had this conversation before you got on and we're like, we don't know what pack is. Well, Rachel says she knows what pack is. Yes. You can't lump you can't lump no, me in that group, Shane. Don't worry. I knew <laughs> what it was. All right. I am giving you your credit. So for those who are listening, uh, could you explain uh, what pack is? Yeah. A PAC or PAC stands for a political action committee. And essentially it's a group of, it's an organization or group of folks that raise money and then like use it towards some kind of political action. Oh, I guess it's in the name. Um, but they can endorse specific candidates or they can endorse specific policies or legislative pieces. Um, and so like my PAC um, is, uh, I'm sorry, is 
really specific on Dallas, uh, and we support just Dallas ISD school board officials. But there are like statewide PACs, there's nationwide PACs, um, there's all kinds of PACs. <laughs> it's mm. a PAC for everybody. There's a, and like I think a, an episode of, shoot, the, the John Stewart show, where maybe not, no, maybe not John Stewart, but the other comedian with the late John night Oliver? show. No, Stephen he actually, Stephen Colbert, he made a, his own pack to run for some kind of political office just to like oh. kind of throw out there to people like what, how easy it is to start a pack. Ah, so could we start You just start need a pack? money, you just need, yeah, oh, y'all can start have, a pack. We don't yeah. have that. Yeah, we don't have that, sorry. <laughs> could you go into a little bit more detail about what it is that you do exactly um, in the political action committee? Yeah. Um, so my job as an election coordinator is essentially um, schedule, I guess, like meetings and activities. So right now we just wrapped up our election season where we mm. were um, gathering volunteers to do lit drops. And I'm, I'm trying not to use too much jargon, but a lit drop mm. is a literature drop where we go around the neighborhood and drop off campaign literature. So those those flyers that you get that are stuck at your door, like that's that uh, is courtesy of a, of a campaign volunteer, right? Uh, yeah, like I, it was either me or someone that I like record coordinated or some a pack or a um, a candidate campaign. Um, if you're receiving that, um, uh, I got to like coordinate the mailers or not coordinate mailers, but like I looked over some like uh, campaign pieces that you get set in mail. Um, the really fun things is I get to text to voters. Um, and I say it's really fun, but it's like really eye opening and how bold people are when you are communicating with them via text. Um, I've gotten really funny messages to really rude messages to just outright crazy messages. Um, shoot. And then I guess another part of it is our pack is also community oriented and which is pretty different than most uh, PACs. So we have our like political side and then we have our advocacy side. So on the advocacy side, I get to, I get to watch like six to nine hour meetings from this at the school board level. Um, I take notes. I like try and digest it all. And then I um, help our team produce summaries and give briefings. So then we meet with, we meet with other people that might care about what's happening at the school board level. And we talk to them about what decisions were made. Uh, and there's probably a couple other things in there, but a day in the life of is like texting voters, coordinate volunteers, um, and sending lots of emails, but that's everybody. Everybody sends lots of emails. <laughs> yes. Dang, that definitely requires a lot of dedication because I could see a lot of those tasks getting difficult very quickly if you don't have the proper motivation behind you. So I'm sure you definitely have to dig deep some days. I went to my first city council meeting this summer. And it was uh, it was virtual, but like man, I had trouble just staying in there for like an yeah. hour because I was like, "Oh my goodness, <laughs> like this <laughs> is dragging on, meetings. dragging on." Yeah. And I I think I stayed for like an hour, but it ended up going on for like 12, 12 hours. And I'm like, man, whoever is involved in local government has a lot of patience. I don't know how they do it. Yeah, and I know for <laughs> our sometimes for our um, school board meetings, they start late. Mm-hmm. Um, like 8 p.m. sometimes and they can go on until like midnight Mm -hmm. so um, I know how 
exhausting it must be. Mm-hmm. I got to be honest. I didn't go to those uh, late ones. <laughs> I never stayed until midnight. Uh, and I used the excuse that I'm just a student teacher and that I don't need. <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't be there. Um, but just the thought of it just blows my mind that, you know, we, we have to go to such lengths to really voice our concerns, voice our opinions, and that there is a series of steps that follow so that we can do what needs to be done, like on paper, you know, get it documented and everything like that. So we can continue to do what we feel like is necessary. Mm. Yeah. So going off of that, what, what are some of the, uh, what's some of the legislation or some of the things that you guys are currently fighting for? So on my pack, we actually are not supporting like legislate legislation, in particular, we're, well, I lied. Um, we <laughs> recently supported four propositions. And so what that is, is like fancy language for uh, like an action, like voters have to approve that a public entity can do X. And so the propositions were to borrow money for a bond. Um, and since we are an education advocacy uh, PAC, political action uh, committee, we wanted to support bond money because ultimately that meant that um, there would be money that goes to improving schools and buying resources for kids. Um, and so it just looks, I mean, like right off the bat without going further into detail, like automatically that should be something that we do for kids. Um, in Dallas, we have, or let's see, I've taught in Dallas ISD schools for seven years and this is not shade on Dallas ISD as a district, but this is just like the truth of like what it means to be in public education. But there Every single school I ever worked at, which was, I think, seven total, we always had air problems, like air conditioning or heating issues. Um, So there were days where, like, me and my kids were freezing. There were days where me and my kids or sometimes, like, uh, we also had student teachers um, where, like, if we were having an in-service session, we would have to, like, sit and heat and, like, we were, like, sweating, but we were learning about what it means to be a good teacher and all this stuff. Um, And like, that's just the reality. When you are in public education, there are really old buildings and then they get forgotten about. And so the propositions on the bond um, that that, uh, we saw in the most recent election allowed for quite a a bit of money um, to be passed to renovate buildings, to buy technology for kids, like... um, with COVID and everybody going to digital learning during uh, the shutdown, uh, we realized that not every single student in the district had devices. Mm -hmm. And so in the spring, like there were kids on tablets instead of computers. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's just not like what we're, if we're talking about preparing kids for the future, like that's ideally not what we're supposed to be. uh, That's not best practice to prepare them um, for virtual learning. And so, um, voters passed um, a huge chunk of money to prepare kids and buy technology and even like wireless uh, devices like that's a huge um it's a huge issue in dallas and i think across the nation there are parts of big cities where they're more developed and have internet access and then there's parts of cities where there are underserved communities that literally cannot get like decent uh internet um yeah and so we recently uh supported propositions um to just get more money into our schools and mm-hmm. voters passed uh, two out of the five propositions. The other three that didn't get passed were to improve our th- athletic facilities and to, in- to like renovate our natatorium, which I never knew was a word until the election. <laughs> and that's basically an indoor swimming pool arena oh, area. Wow. 
Natatorium, yeah. So we have one in Dallas, which I didn't know, and then it needed to be renovated. And then a performing arts facility. Um, and I think the reason why those, those three didn't pass is because there is this legal issue where in Texas, if you have uh, any ballot where you're asking voters to approve bond money, um, so like money that can be borrowed to imp- uh, as like debt for the district to use to do whatever they need to do, you have to include the language like this will be a tax increase. Um, but the thing is, like there was no tax increase if these bond if these propositions were passed. So like that's another obstacle or like these really small, like trivial legal, like, uh, I guess, loops that you have to jump through loopholes or whatever Mm -hmm. obstacles um, that you have to, like, I guess, fulfill because if you don't, it's (laughs) essentially illegal. But yeah, so that was the most recent one. We're actually going to go off into a runoff election right now um, into, into a uh, the original election was supposed to be in May, but it got postponed because of COVID. So then it was November. And then we had two candidates that got the uh, the top amount of votes out of the three candidates. And so now we're going to have another election in December that we'll be working on. And so we'll be supporting two specific or one specific um, candidate out of the two. I see. So, yes. Wow, that's awesome. Lots well, of technical work. <laughs> well, glad to see that you guys are going to get some more funding. Hopefully... There won't be any more kids and teachers freezing their butts this winter. Yeah, for sure. I hope so too. Well, not maybe not this winter because again, it is a marathon improving yeah, yeah. public building. So maybe yes. maybe in five winters. <laughs> yeah, like five, five to winters. ten winters. Five to ten winters. Oh, so sad. People will have it. yeah. It's really yeah. well. The good thing in Texas is our winters are very short, um, ah. so there's that. That's awesome. I I'm wondering because. Um, you know, you're talking about how there's like a lot of jargon and a lot of like um, literature that also goes through all of this. I'm wondering, how was it for you getting into this um, political realm? Because mm. I'm sure there's lots to learn, right? And a lot of the lingo that goes in and just understanding all of the different processes yeah. that, you know, for legislation, for, you know, anything to go up to the board or anything to go past the board, like, I'm wondering how was that for you, having to learn all of that and having to shift gears. And dealing with adults rather than being around children all day, yeah, too. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. Oh, gosh. Yeah, dealing with adult, adults are, is not as fun as dealing with kids. Kids are a lot more fun. I miss I miss teaching kids every day. Um, I remember the day I quit teaching, like literally the hour after I left school, I like told my partner, I was like, I already miss teaching. He was like, it's not even been an hour since you like quit officially. <laughs> Um, but yeah, working with adults, it's actually been a really like slow transition, I think, because I'm so used to like being a fast learner, but when it went from shifting to like understanding teaching, which, um, honestly took a while on myself and then going into politics, like there was no one to teach me. Um, there aren't people that really do, um, like that really are going to sit with other folks and be like, this is what like a meeting looks like. Even like a city council meeting, I've attended two ever, Derek, and I definitely didn't, like you said you stayed up for an hour. I like made it 30 minutes into a city council meeting because it was so, it was terrible. It was really bad. And that, and sometimes that's just because of really bad governance. Like sometimes adults just don't know how to act in public Mm -hmm. and especially if they're elected. Anyways, that's not, that's like a metaphor or that's like a huge description I can apply to a lot of things Mm. um but like in school board meetings it probably took me 
um, maybe three or four meetings to finally understand like, oh, this is what a meeting, like what happens during a meeting. Because for a long time, I was like, I'm going to show up and people are going to talk and I'm going to pull out 10 quotes and I'll understand those 10 things out of like the six hours that I attend. (laughs) And that was like a win for me. But it wasn't until until I like joined a fellowship. So um, the fellowship I joined is called the Campaign Activity and Management Program Fellows. Um, And that actually got me like this job that I have now. And I just had someone literally teach me like, this is what happens during a school board meeting. And they taught all of us like what it means to be a school board trustee, like what decisions people actually get to make as a trustee. Um, And so I just had to find those, find those um, opportunities on my own. And um, I think something that came to me earlier when you were talking about like, like trying to be a teacher and attend those meetings, Rachel, like Mm -hmm. it's hard for teachers to even know what's going on. Like I have tons of friends that are still teaching and they don't have time to like listen on to a meeting that lasts from like 1130 to 6 p.m., which is actually what happened yesterday. And so what happens is like we have or I myself, like I connect with them and I'm like, hey, this is what's happening. Like, what do you think? And that's uh, a large reason why I became like an organizer is because there are so many things happening. And um, when I became a teacher, only one out of our nine trustees actually had teaching experience. But now I can like say that we have oof, um, either three or four people on out of the nine um, folks that are on the school board that actually have experience in schools mm-hmm. as Yay. teachers. And then one of them is actually a student of Dallas ISD. Yeah. Oh, wow. Or like Ooh. a former student. Yeah. And so like all that was possible through um, through like packs so our pack essentially got got these folks elected or like local advocates local organizers um people that just believe in like putting uh, putting real representatives of education uh, on elected boards i don't know if i i went on this long tangent i hope i answered that question because i don't remember the question anymore (laughs) (laughs) no i mean because that question was like how did you learn all this stuff because i can't even but it seems that like you know the fellowship really did help you and you know they were able to support you and guide you in that because let's be honest when it comes to teaching it's it's hard to learn anything on your own you need someone to help guide you right Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's just life in general so I'm wondering, um, just because, you know, it's election season and there's just been so many things happening this year in 2020, starting with, um, you know, the events that followed um, George Floyd's death and, you know, the, BL- the BLM and just the w- different waves of, like, disaster and just... W- covid one thing happening another after another i just feel like in the political world because you were you know you are in it like what sort of waves did you see like did you see you know a rise in certain beliefs or was there a shift or a change in perspectives when all of these things you know started happening this year um, did you see, you know, more outrage, more, su- you know, support from, you know, groups of people? What sort of sh- like shifts did you see throughout this crazy, crazy year? Yeah, this is going to be very like, um, I guess, from my own personal experiences. Uh, and it's and I say that just because like what I've observed may or may not be true of the, of the nation. But I think like in my dis- in my 
conversation with friends, like at least we ourselves made these observations. So at least I'm not making up total BS. Um, but with this big, like with the Black Lives Matter movement that picked up a lot of steam after George Floyd and like Ahmaud Aubrey and Breonna Taylor, like um, seeing that we were in a shutdown, like I think really amplified the, this movement that has long existed. Mm-hmm. I remember in 2016, like being in a Black Lives Matter protest. Um, and even before that, folks were like um, pointing out instances of police brutality and like uh, and like um, the senseless like killings of, of black individuals. And so the fact that people were at home and had nothing better to do or were like stuck looking at screens um, uh, really helped like shift the dialogue from just like people that were in the work. Oh, I don't know if y'all heard my dog, um, but let me repeat that. So people being stuck at home really um, forced them to, I guess, see what was unfolding and that was unrest. Um, either it was like digital like posts or it was like the physical manifestation of unrest um, in their cities um, and on people's lawns, like people were like putting more like signs out and things like that just to show their support and solidarity and the opposite, like literally in Texas, we had folks come out on their lawn with guns to protest the protesters who really just want, you know, civil rights. And um, so that was a big shift, like seeing it be forced on people in a way that they really couldn't like deny. Um, And then there were additionally like those, I don't know what you want to call it, but like somewhat gimmicky, but also like helpful movements uh, over social media, like the black square thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so essentially people were posting a black square to be in solidarity of black lives matter. But then what it became was like people on Instagram, not wanting to be left out. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's be real. There were folks out there that did it. And it's like, where are y'all now? Um, <laughs> so, so the fact that, I think uh, people were willing to kind of uh, weaponize social media as a way, as a means to organize folks um, was also like a big shift in like the, the level of like outreach that they had or the level of like people um, able to engage Um, as opposed to like the calls that people were making, like the, the, the demands that black organizers were calling for were, are very much the same as they have been Um, like, demanding like the money uh, or funds that go into police budgets just be placed in somewhere else that could be more um, helpful for like underserved communities especially black communities like that's not something new um let's see i don't know what else to say besides like the fact that people really had to were forced to reconcile with it um and then the fact that like our like nation's leader like decided to take sides out of it so like Mm. he essentially you know, brought that uh, whole issue to the national level. Uh, and then we had political leaders and celebrities get involved. Yeah, I would definitely agree that staying home all day and being on your phone for sure had a, a big impact mm-hmm. because I feel like a lot of times you see those things and then you go to work or school the next day and then you kind of get on with your day or your life and you kind of forget about it. Um, but definitely mm-hmm. being at home and seeing one person like, post about something and be like okay whatever and then you scroll and then more and more and more and it just there was so much momentum that definitely played a part and I would say even 
for for like us, I don't think we would have started this podcast if we weren't mm-hmm. at home all day um, in quarantine, you know, and we had time to do this and we had time to talk to other people about this. So it definitely um, played a big factor in our lives as well. Um, and then now awesome. culminating in the election where we're seeing all these um, mail-in ballots and the fact that that's definitely playing a role in, you know, what's delaying the count and everything. Um, it is so interesting to just see the the different ways in which COVID and quarantine is affecting our daily lives and even our politics right now. Yeah, so. definitely. And I'm interested because we are talking about, you know, the effects of COVID and um, just like personally how it's affected us and, you know, the nation. I'm wondering as an Asian American living in the state of Texas, um, how has that been for you? What has your experience been like? Um, I grew up in a blue island in Texas and that blue island Mm. is Dallas. Uh, There are other blue islands, uh, AKA Austin, El Paso. Um, But I think like growing up, being in Dallas and being in the part of Dallas I was at, so Dallas is actually quite segregated and that's just the way it was economically developed. Um, but I grew up in East Dallas. And so at that time, um, I grew up like at a crossroads of like, there was government housing, like a a couple blocks away. There were families that had owned their houses for at least a generation or two, the opposite direction. Um, there was a community of immigrants down the street. And so that's actually like my babysitter and all my Asian friends growing up. Um, and so I got to go to a really diverse school. And so there were moments in like school where like things were very like racialized where I was stereotyped. Like I got called a chink. Um, like people made fun of like the way I looked, my eyes. Um, people like insulted my family and my food, all those, you know, like all those mm-hmm. things, the the usual norms with being Asian and like an, and then in a uh, community that doesn't have many Asians. Um, but the fact that I was always around diverse communities. So like, excuse me, growing up, um, I had friends that always identified with me like this, like they were also Asian American, but then I also had a lot of friends that were um, Latin American or Latino or um, Latinx. Um, I had friends that were that identified as black uh, or African American. I had friends that identified as like white. Um, And so being able to be in a school and like constantly be surrounded by folks with different experiences and different backgrounds like that really challenged me one to like understand beyond what I knew at home and two for me to like have this really great understanding of like where I fit into the world and the fact that like even though I'm different that doesn't make me like different in a bad way and that just means like we're all different Mm -hmm. and I I um, am grateful for that because then I hear experiences from folks that grew up in very like homogenous communities that were Mm -hmm. different from them and that just sounds way painful um, mm. and uh, in ways that I like can't understand, right? And so um, I'm lucky in that sense. But I think like going to other states and having people like kind of be like, oh, you're from Texas. Like, don't you believe these certain things? Mm-hmm. Like that was really unnerving at times. Mm. Um, but the biggest, I think, reckoning I had with being Asian American wasn't probably until I became a teacher and like started working with adults that like didn't know how to work with other people that were different from them. Uh, so like I had, I had like people straight up judge or not judge me. Oh no, judge me for like just basic <laughs> things. 
um like bringing food and like not being and like trying to eat it in the break room and being like yo like your food is really smelly and i was like that's too bad like it's free and i'm not thinking <laughs> nothing else and this is where the microwave is like um so i had to really like stand my ground and understand that like um what makes me me is very unique and i shouldn't be i shouldn't shrink myself mm-hmm. to like um to exist um uh, peacefully in like those spaces um but what was really hard was like, um, I think understanding it in the in like the larger system, like seeing how often Asian Americans um, and like uh, indigenous folks and like Middle Eastern South Asians, uh, there are specific groups that get left out of the narratives. Yeah. So like when people talk about race, people only like often say like black, white, and then Latinx. Um, and then there's like no space for other folks. And that's really hard because I care so much about race. I care so much about talking about anti-racism as a teacher. Um, But then when I go and like go to certain spaces, people don't see me as a racialized person Mm. or like there have been like folks that kind of see me either as white or, you know, um, Mm. or like I'm privileged. And there's, there's truth in that. Like as an Asian American myself personally, like being an East Asian or being, I guess, of East Asian and Southeast Asian descent, um like there I'm a little bit closer to like um whiteness like there are things that I get to do that like lump me into like the privilege that white people have like folks won't ever deny me a job based on my name or like I won't get pulled over based on my skin color things like that um and so I've had to really reckon with all those things as an adult in in the system that that is like in the system that judges me as an adult um and that's been like the biggest thing of like what it means to be Asian American in Texas, that like there are places where I get to really experience privilege um, because I'm not black or because I'm not Latinx or indigenous. But then there are spaces that I really like end up not having any like visibility or anybody to advocate for me because I'm either mm-hmm. the only person in the room that identifies a specific way uh, or um, like people just leave out Asian Americans in narratives in the narrative that they like um, that they are building in their world. And I think that's why it's even more inspiring to see you speaking out because as a minority, um, we've already discussed on our podcast about how it was hard for us to even speak out in our own communities just because as Asians, we're so reserved, you know, and we try not to speak up and for you to go out and speak out in the community is, is really impressive. Um, and I, I also wanted to ask about, I guess another Texas issue is that we're just, we're kind of seeing in, um, we saw in the election this year that Texas is actually becoming less and less conservative. And some of the states that we thought were battleground states were either more conservative or more democratic. And some of the states that we thought were straight up conservative, like Texas, are slowly becoming a little more moderate. And so I was curious what your experience with that has been in the community. And what do you think are some of the factors playing into that? Is it like more people moving out of California and going into Texas? <laughs> is it just people becoming more woke in general? What, what do you think plays into that? Yeah, first I'm going to give a shout out to Georgia because who would have thought Georgia? Um, <laughs> yeah. So key, right? Um, but I like thinking about Texas, um, folks, people of color have always existed in Texas, um, mm-hmm. but they haven't always had access to the systems that determine power. So like, 
um, lots of communities didn't get to vote um, for like multiple reasons. Like voter suppression is still pretty strong in Texas. Um, and that's because like the, the legacy of uh, the government in Texas has been to disenfranchise like black communities, Latinx communities um, and other, any other community that's not white. And so um, like Texas has always had people here that are like, that care about, I guess, like liberal issues or that just care about rights, which is really annoying to say that like that's liberal, like demanding <laughs> <Yeah>. rights. <laughs> yeah. Demanding my equality. It makes me a liberal person. Okay. Um, and so there's, it's so nuanced. Um, so one is like not having the opportunity and access to show up and vote um, because mm-hmm. of like a multitude of ways, like um, not being, Uh, not having access to transportation or like not being able to take off work or um, all the things, right. That goes in for discretion. The other thing is that, and now I've lost my thought, which happens way too often (laughs) for someone my age. Um, I'm going to go on the joke that, yeah, so many of you Californians are moving to Texas and it's making making Texas people mad. Like stop bringing your liberal policies to Texas. And like legit, I hear that more often though in a serious context, way more often than I hear it being joked about, which is something to say. Like, mm. like when we watch TV ads, um, that gets brought up a lot, which is wild to me. Um, but sure, oh, so yeah, actually like, saying like, "Oh, the Californians are coming in and bringing their their morals with them." Word for word, yes, that has been an wow. ad. Wow, that's yeah. crazy. Huh. Word for word. Mm-hmm. Those evil Californians. No. Yeah, you evil West Coasters, freaking your ocean air and like hippie values to us. I don't know. Um, I think religion also has a lot to say to, you know, um, religion has a huge part in like our politics too. Um, like most of the South um, is very religious and very Christian. And then unfortunately, um, there is like a really damaging legacy there in Christianity that is tied to like the, like the removal of power from like, from um, what am I trying to say? From marginalized identities, like either being like sexual identity or racial identity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think as we see religious groups reckon with that more and more, like, folks are making better decisions about like their policies Mm -hmm. um so there's like so the shifting access to voting um the shift of religion and like the uh, the reconciliation of like religious organizations um with like their values and like in uh recognizing human rights um and i think that like also really reflects what's happening in georgia right like Folks in Georgia, those folks that voted in Georgia have always been in Georgia, but did they always have the right to vote? And so, or like the means to vote. And so I wanted to like take this opportunity to say like Stacey Abrams, who literally had a, an election robbed from her. So the mm-hmm. incumbent she was running against um, pulled some moves, made some like uh, made some laws that essentially restricted voters that w- would elect Stacey Abrams from being governor. And so what she did, instead of, you know, like trying to like um, mend her loss and like go elsewhere, she actually like stayed and and led a huge organizing front and they registered over 800,000 voters and got Mm -hmm. them to the polls. Um, And so like that's 
that's a huge reflection of what's happening, I think, in other states. People are realizing that you can organize and you can get people to come together and like uplift um, uplift voters and uplift people that otherwise wouldn't have their voices heard. And I think that's why it's even more important during this time that we count every vote. Like we joke on a right. joke about like how like how long this process uh, is. It's like we don't even know yet and it's Friday. Yeah. It's necessary, you know, like let the memes go on. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure SNL will pull like lots of skits from this, oh, whatever yeah. it is. I can't wait. But you mm-hmm. know, I know like it's just count every vote and this is you know one of the greatest things about this country is that we are a democracy and we shouldn't be you know infringing on that because that is just one of the fundamental rights and you know responsibilities that we have as people of this country so you know it's a waiting game (laughs) we're gonna be refreshing our web pages hopefully by our next podcast we'll know know. hopefully by our next podcast we'll know but we i guess and i don't know i just like every expectation that we had has been thrown out the window so it's just i don't know what to think anymore at this point yeah um but i just want to say thank you so much nancy it's been such an eye-opening experience and it's so wonderful to speak to you know an educator and an advocate and something that I talk about in my classroom along with my mentor teacher is that we educate so we can advocate. Um, and I think that's kind of you in a nutshell, you know, like to us today, you helped us educate and you taught us how we can advocate for, uh, you know, our voices to be heard for people in our communities to be heard. So thank you so much for the work that you're doing for, you know, your community, for, you know, all the people out there who are trying to fight the good fight um, for our future generations. So thank you so much for having us. And thank you to the listeners um, for joining, clicking again on Niche on Niche. We are so excited to continue growing all together. And we hope that you continue to stay. And again, hopefully we'll know who our new president is by the next time you hear our voices. Please. Yes. <laughs> so please have a wonderful day, evening, morning, whatever time it is that you're listening to us. Thank you for clicking. And we'll see you next time on Niche on Niche.